Yeah, I do. It's like, why else would you, you know, come on. I have no jokes prepared. I, I'm not up here to tell you stories tonight. I got a word to give you. But before I do that, guys, um, welcome Tracy. She's going to come up and talk about this book. Welcome, my bride. Yay, 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 yay. Woo! <laughs> Hey guys, it is so good to be here, so good to be here. I'm kind of speechless tonight. Where'd you go? Don't leave me. <laughs> it's, it's very emotional. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love you all. Yeah. I really do, and I'm excited for what's coming. And uh, there's a lot of good things that have been planted here, and it's going to continue to flourish. And as Bill said about the declarations that have been made, both in word and song, in prayer, it's, it's taken root in the city, and it's happening. And I believe that the fact that that's all been released, and now we see all this growth happening in the city, and it's like those words, the things that have gone out in the spirit, are preparing this city for what's coming so I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tell you real quickly. Uh, we have several things out on the table, but I'm only going to tell you about one of them tonight. Uh, some of you, how many already have Reckless Grace? Very cool. So this is a powerful book uh, written by Bill and a friend of ours, Britt Eaton. And some really awesome things are happening through this message. Uh, Broad Street Publishing picked it up, and there, it's going to be relaunched this fall. But I just want to like, encourage you, if you haven't read it, please do. And, and spread the message in any way you can, because relationships are being healed. People are physically being healed. So I want to tell you real quickly about Bill. Uh, we had a, like a really cool thing happen last year with his cousin. He has an older cousin that lives up in Washington State. And he was in very, very poor health. And um, we had a family reunion scheduled And they called and they said, you know, he's being put in hospice and he only had days to live. And so we were kind of bummed because we knew we weren't going to make it there in time to say goodbye. However, when he was on his deathbed, he asked his sister, would you read me that book that Bill wrote? So she read Reckless Grace to him and something began to happen in his body. He got better and better and better. So like every day until he is still living, he's at home he was out of, they, they could not believe how he came back from the brink of death. And so we went to see him when the family reunion happened. We walk in and he's like, I'm so sorry about the air mattress, but he's like, my family started selling off my furniture because I'm supposed to be dead. And he laughed about it. And uh, we were just like, wow. So tell us what happened. Well, he said, as he heard the words in this book, he realized he had carried a grudge his whole life towards somebody. And he finally released that released grace and forgiveness to that person. And he said, I was still expecting to go. He's like, I'm ready to go be with the father. And he's like, I did not expect to be living, but it's like his body responded to the grace, to the love and the the presence of God. So it's such a powerful thing for, for the giver and the receiver. So if you haven't read reckless grace, please get a copy of that. It's awesome. And we'll tell you about some more things on Sunday morning. Bill's got a great word tonight. So you know what it is? I might have a clue, but I really, I think I'm going to be surprised. So yeah. (laughs) 
She usually knows I want to preach, even if I don't tell her. She just does. Seems to. Yeah. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 48. <clears throat> you guys know for me, grace has been a huge theme for years. And I, I, I want you to, oh my goodness, so many amazing people. I just want to stop and say hi to everybody. And if I haven't hugged you yet, please stick around. Um, there's just so much love and tangible love in this room. You, you understand that... Uh, no, I'll save that for later. Um, grace, grace is not the freedom to walk in compromise. <clears throat> grace is, this is a misunderstanding thing people have when they, when they, oh, Bill, you're a grace guy. And I, yes, I am, 100%, 1,000%. It's the strongest message we've got in the body of Christ. It's, it's, but it's not, um, it's not the freedom to walk in compromise. It's the empowered favor to obey the impossible command. It's the supernatural ability to go to where the voice of God calls you to. You understand that grace is the superpower of the believer. Grace is the superpower of the Christian. It's the superpower of the disciple. And, and people say, well, you know, <clears throat> well, I believe in Jesus. That's it, right? Just believe in Jesus. No. Belief. People say, I believe. So what? The devil believes. The devil absolutely believes. The Bible says the devil the demons believe and tremble. Darkness knows who Jesus is and they're fully aware of his power. The devil believes and trembles. The thing about the devil is though he believes, though he knows the truth about who Jesus is, he has no intention of living in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. There's a lot of people that are actually sitting in church that believe the right thing but have no intention of living in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. You understand the greatest weapon you have in this life. When I'm talking about grace, that, that is the superpower of the believer to invade the impossible, to do the impossible, to obey the impossible, to go after the things that are, are necessary for you to apprehend the fullness of the destiny on your life. In order for you and I to step into that grace requires us to do more than just belief. And the, it, it, the greatest weapon you and I have is obedience to the voice of the Lord. And when God speaks, he invites us into agreement. He invites us into a heart of surrender. It's not striving, it's surrender. And with the yes to the invitation will come a grace or a supernatural ability upon your life to do what nobody else could do. Because nobody else is called into what you're called into. So far, so good. Bill, it seems weighty and heavy. Right now, discipleship is huge for me. Because I'm watching people throw faith away left and right. They tried it. It didn't quite work. So, well, I'm just going to go do something else. I'm going to go live unto myself and whatnot. I'm like, listen, <clears throat> Jesus never told us to make converts. He told us to make disciples. And, and you can become a believer in a moment by faith. But you cannot become a disciple in a moment by faith. I don't care how much faith you've got. Discipleship takes time. And I mention this tonight because I'm in the company of faithful people. 30 what? 36? 35 years? Here. And before that, how many years in Lubbock? 50 total. This is 50 years of saying yes 
and waking up the next day and saying yes again. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is not just somebody who says yes. A disciple is somebody who says yes, even when your yes is about to cost you. Anybody can say yes when it's convenient. Anybody can say yes when all your prayers are getting answered. Anybody can say yes when your yes just automatically produces supernatural breakthrough. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is somebody who sees the promise, knows it's there, believes in it, and the circumstances of their life are coming against it and seem to prove that the promise is wrong, but they still say yes anyway, beyond all reason and against all logic. They still say yes. So if you allow your circumstances to determine whether or not you're going to be obedient to the voice of the Lord, your circumstances will never change. It is obedience to the voice of the Lord that actually changes your circumstances. But Bill, you're the grace guy. Hang on. I've earned the right to say this. I've been preaching grace for a long time. Right? So here's the thing. You and, you and I are called to more than just belief. We're called to discipleship. And grace discipleship is the empowering favor of God upon your life to do the things that you could never do. And I don't know about you, but I'm just kind of ruined for the ordinary. I'm ruined for like, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously ruined for the ordinary. And I realize I can't operate and you can't operate in the power of God apart from the obedience to the voice of the Lord that calls us to do as Jesus did. And that is live in this place of surrendered. I only do what I see the Father do and say what I hear the Father say. So this year, I don't know what's been going on, but ever since January 1st, when I get up and preach, I'm shocking myself by what's coming out of my mouth because... I feel like there's a call to something. God is doing something new in our day, and it's so new, not even the prophets know about it. You say, well, he always tells the prophets. I'm going to show you in the Word where sometimes he doesn't. And I believe that the newness that goes beyond what even prophetic eyes can see into is actually about to happen before our eyes. And one of the reasons is, is because outside of the body of Christ, God is moving in people's hearts in such a way that it's actually offending the church. You understand last Sunday, Kanye West led more people to Jesus in America than any other Christian out there. Two weeks ago, Justin Bieber did did an Instagram prayer meeting for 20 million of his followers. It's almost like God's going, you guys guys are moving too slow. Let's just go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and grab a few influencers. And he's not done. God's not done. Hang on and watch. People that you have 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 thrown out in your mind and heart as beyond hope and beyond the reach of redemption are bypassing us. And we got to be okay with it. In Jesus' first miracle, when he, when he turned the water into wine, you guys remember the story of how Jesus takes and he looks at sees six water pots. Mom comes to him and goes, hey, everybody's drunk everything. They're out of wine. They're out of wine. Make some more. like, are you, this is so controversial. I can't, you can't we're going to start the ministry this way. Okay. You know, whatever. So, so he looks over and he sees these six water pots. This isn't even my message tonight. Just hang on with me. Six water pots, what 30 gallons a piece. It's a lot of wine over a hundred gallons of wine. Jesus is going to make for people who have already drunk everything. Do you see the controversy here? 
Jesus looks over and sees six 30-gallon, not five-gallon buckets, 30-gallon stone water pots. You don't tip these things up, clean them out super easy. They're there for purification. What is purification? It was a hand-washing station. Why are there six? Because this is how you wash hands when you don't have running water. You put your hands in the first one and the second one. By the time you get to the sixth one, hopefully your hands are clean. But how many of you know, by the time that an entire wedding party of drunk people has put their hands in that first one, that's like quicksand. So, so Jesus looks over and sees these six water pots, hand-washing station, and he goes, fill them up all the way to the top. Not clean them out, not sanitize them, Fill them up. All the, use the existing liquid, as disgusting as it is, fill it up. That's the only thing he's concerned about is the empty space issue. Fill it up all the way to the top. Why? Because in the kingdom, emptiness is not a good deal. Overflow is the big deal. So he doesn't care what he starts with. Just give him something to work with. Give me that and, and fill it all the way up to the top. Then draw out now. Once they draw out, it, you don't know when it changes from water into wine. I think it changed at the obedient response of the the servant to take it to the head waiter and think, I'm going to lose my job. I'm taking hand-washing water to the head waiter to feed him. This. And at that point, when he sucks it down, he goes, wow, that's the best wine we've ever had. You saved it to the last. That's crazy. Here's the, here's the part about the story that I want you to see, though. And uh, I just saw this the other day, and it just it rocked my world. If you came over to my house for a party and I took the most expensive wine on earth and I put it in the sink, plugged the sink where we wash the dishes and I plug the sink and I pour it in the sink and I fill it up and I throw a ladle in there and say, hey, there's the wine. That's, we don't have a wine bucket in your bowl or whatever. Hey, you know, there, just go ahead and get it. Many of you would be like, I don't care how much I like wine. No. It's a hard no. I'm not drinking wine out of your sink, Bill. You understand what Jesus does here is he's issuing a challenge to everybody at that wedding party. The best wine you've ever had is in the hand washing station in those dirty stone pots. And if you want to access that, you're going to have to change the way you see those pots. Can you preach this now? You can take this. Run with it. You see where I'm going? In order for me to access the new wine that God is putting in offensive vessels, i got to change the way that I see the vessel. So the message of grace isn't, that, isn't just that. You can squander anointing all day long. You can do it. And God, by His grace, can restore squandered anointing. Samson had an anointing and he shared something that was only between him and God in the secret place with somebody who he wasn't in covenant with. And, and she used it to destroy him. And, and he lost his eyes. They gouged his eyes out. How many of you know, though, that Samson's strength returned and his anointing returned, but he still had no eyes? It's choices you make when it comes to the things of the anointing are a big deal. And God, by His grace, will restore squandered anointing. But it's going to take the grace of the people of God to see the formerly anointed one different than just a dirty pot. And I think, for us, 
God is putting new wine in offensive vessels all around us. And it's going to take new eyes to see that vessel with different eyes, different perspective, to be able to drink deeply of the new wine. Who's beyond the grace of God? God has never had any irreconcilable differences with any of you. That'll tweet. Some of you need to just write that down. That'll be just your note for the night. God has never had any irreconcilable differences with any of you. So, Isaiah, I want to talk about glory. I want to talk about the weight. All right. There's so much weight in this room. The encounters with God I've had in this room, the encounters with God some of you have had in this room, it staggers me. um, All right, so Isaiah chapter 48, here we are. I want to read a couple of scriptures to you and then then talk to you for a bit. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 3. God's going to come to Isaiah here and he's going to say some things. And you want to, I want to just grab these things and understand that what Isaiah prophesies oftentimes is new covenant word. Just because we're reading it in an old covenant setting and it's an old covenant prophet doesn't mean that he doesn't understand or, or speak new covenant language. You say, why do we know this? I'll give you an example. Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. Time tense. What is all of that? Past tense. In other words, Isaiah writes about something that hasn't happened in his day as if it's already happened. So what Isaiah is actually able to do here is he's able not just to hear the word of the Lord for the future, but he's able to step into the future and respond to the word that he's heard and prophesy as though it's already happened in the past. Why is he doing that? Because God was planting new covenant revelation about himself in Christ, the incarnation in Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up. Couldn't have made sense in his day. It makes perfect sense to us now because he was prophesying for our benefit. Can God give new covenant prophetic words in the middle of the old covenant? Yes. Don't write off the entire Old Testament as irrelevant. It's not. There's treasure hidden in the most unexpected places. If life ought to teach us anything, it's that God delights in hiding the greatest treasure in the most unexpected places. So right smack dab in the middle of the canon of Scripture, boom, page 1031, Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 3. I'll give you a couple of words here. He says, I declared the former things long ago. They went forth from my mouth and I proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted and they came to pass. So God does two things here. He speaks and he acts. And sometimes... He says something, and then he waits. I got a promise from God. Why isn't it happening? I don't know. I don't know why he does that. But he does. Sometimes he'll say something to you, like, David, you're going to be king over Israel. But David doesn't get the crown for years. At what point are you going to act upon the word that you declared? Well, the word itself sets things in motion because there's a process that actually needs to happen in order for us to steward the promise once we come into it. That's part of the grace, the gift of grace. So God says, I declare things and then I act. 
and then they come to pass. So he'll drop a word in your heart and not tell you how long it's going to take to fulfill it. And you and I got to be okay with that. But because we serve an amazing God who is the Lord of time, he actually has the ability to call those things that be not as though they were, calls us to reflect that and actually can drop in our spirit, not just the word, but the joy that goes along with the fulfilled destiny as if it's already happened. So you can walk in the emotional stability of the fullness of the call before you've even seen the manifestation of it. I don't know how that works, but it does think you need the fulfillment of the fullness of the call in order to access the peace that comes with the fulfillment of it? No, you don't. You actually just need to say, yes, I don't get it, but be it done to me according to your word. And then when it happens, it happens. But God's not slow concerning his promise, at least as he defines slow. He speaks and it happens. And everything we know is held together by sound, declaration. Everything, molecules, all everything, all of it is just, it's sound. It's it, the entirety of this universe. The cosmos is all made up of the symphony of God. It's the voice of God. It's the choir of the voice of God. And the multiplicity of the voices harmonizing. God, in a sense, harmonizing with himself to hold all things together by the power of his word and the word of his power. It's the way he creates and calls everything into being and and that's just what he does uh you guys have heard me talk about the genesis narrative a thousand times but i can't ever get over it and there's little parts of it that always just are being unveiled as god takes and scoops up dust and mud and clay and holds it up to his face after he's formed the image of man and breathes yahweh In that moment, man becomes a living, a divine convergence zone between heaven and earth, unlike any other being, animated literally by the breath of of God, and yet created from the mud of, of the earth. No other being like this. And man opens his eyes, and our very first conscious experience that we ever have is to behold the face of a father who adores us very first conscious experience humanity ever had was to behold the face of a father who adores us. We are birthed in a face-to-face encounter with God. It's where you and I live. It's where we belong. We're never meant to leave that. And he is so omnipresent So all with us, encompassing around us. You can try to turn your... This is the power of grace. You can try to turn your back on him and you're still facing him. I I was talking to a guy the other day and it's like, you know, my walk with God, it's like just a slow, steady drip. And the description was like dripping in a bucket, right? And it's like, I just, I position my whole life to... Just let that drip, 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 drip. Fills up the bucket. But then you get distracted by the things of the world. Boom, tip the bucket over. And what takes so long to fill up? Boom, it's emptied in a minute. Now you got to set the bucket back up and just let it drip all over again. How many of you have had a walk with God that resembles something like that at some point in your Christian life? It's like maybe if I fast a little more, if I pray a little more, if I do a little more, anything that just keeps the drip going. And then, you know, you somebody get, cuts you off in traffic. You pull up to the light. Some guy looks at you weird. You know, I mean, it, it, I don't know, whatever. It's like 
Next thing you know, you're like, bucket's gone. That's it. It's empty. I got to get back to COP or Cathedral or Austin, COP, whatever it is. And, and I got to get back here and I got to do some carpet time and I got to get under the drip. Some of you guys have been like living under the drip for a long time. You know what that is? That's like Christian form of Chinese water torture. No offense to the Chinese. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're just living under this just constant like, okay, just one more drop. Oh, a little bit of anointing. Okay, maybe a little bit more. Don't touch my bucket! You know how distracting all of the loving is that goes on in this room to religion? All your love in this room is like is it's it's like Jesus. It's the bull in the china shop of religion. People come in here and they just want to have like a holy moment with God, and then somebody comes up to them and loves on them and goes Shaba in your ear. And next thing you know, you're like slathered on the floor and you're like, ah, oh, there goes my bucket, you know. <laughs> Lived under the drip. And then some of you learn how to live under a waterfall. It's like, whoa, I'm deluged. It's crazy. Just it's the Niagara Falls. Here's where grace will take you. Grace will take you and immerse you. It'll take your bucket and it'll immerse you. And it doesn't matter if you turn it this way, turn it this way, or turn it upside down. It's still full. You're in him and he's in you. And he's not super fragile. Mm -hmm. All right. I was going somewhere with that, but... That was for somebody in here. This feels so, this just feels so messy tonight. <laughs> mm. Declared former things long ago, they went forth from my mouth, I proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. I want you to jump down in verse 6, Isaiah 48, 6. You have heard, look at all of this. And you, will you not declare it? Listen, God's challenging you to take what he shows you and what he tells you. His word and his actions. He's challenging you and I to take and put those words and actions to make them our actions and our words. Will you not declare it? In other words, hey, I'm telling you something not for you to keep silent. I'm telling you something so you you can declare it. So you can speak it. Will you not declare it? Look at this. I proclaim to you, everybody goes, yes, I'll declare, God, whatever you say, I'll declare. Okay, try this then. I proclaim to you new things. Everybody say new things. New things from this time. Even hidden things. Everybody say hidden things. So he's showing you new things, he's showing you hidden things. New things from this time. This time, it's an important line. Even hidden things which you have not Known. I have not preached every verse in the Bible dry yet. I haven't even begun. Todd, I haven't even scratched the surface. Just when I think I've seen it all, I go back to verses I've memorized and preached out of a hundred times, and there's more to see. Hidden things which you have not known. Now, verse 7. This is the key, and I'm going to camp out on this for a bit. They are created now. And not long ago. And before today, you have not heard them. So that you will not say, behold, I knew them. Do you understand what he's saying here? What what do we think God did after creation? He creates for six days, rests on the seventh. What do we think that God did on day eight? 
nothing? Six days and he was done? That's No. He is by very nature, God who is love, other-centered, self-giving, relationship, mirrored in the human family. God, whose very nature is love, is also by nature creator. He never stops creating. He has never stopped creating. So he made it all, and that's it, and he just set it into motion. He set back. He just wound the universe up, and then he stepped back, and now is watching us from a distance. And maybe he gets close enough to some of us who earn the right to be holy. No, that's not the way this thing works. God, by his very nature, is not just creative. He is creator. And he has never stopped creating. So right smack dab in the middle of the Bible, God comes to Isaiah and the children of Israel. And he says, guys, just in case you don't know, I'm making new stuff. And it's so new that you've actually never seen it before. And... Uh, I'm, I'm so ahead of you. I'm like, I really am interested in surprising you with this new stuff. So there's some stuff that I'm not even telling anybody about. So none of you will say, whoa, I saw that coming. Like I'm going to stay a step ahead of all of you. So when God does things and, and it seems like the most prophetic voices in the earth are like, whoa, you can see that coming. Don't think that they've lost their grace or lost their gift. God is just retaining his right to stay a step ahead of all of us. Why does he do that? I don't know. Maybe to shock us back into a state of humility. Maybe to bring us back to a place of just simply surrendering to, okay, you can do whatever you want. Because you're God. And you're amazing that way. I'm doing new stuff. Can I tell you, I believe what God is doing in this day is he's doing some stuff. He's going to be doing some stuff in the years to come. And I believe it's really kicking. I mean, we're, we're in a new reformation in a big, big, big way. And uh, really felt it. I felt it in Wittenberg, Germany in 2017, October of 2017. I felt the Lord say, standing in Martin Luther's church, as we started speaking in tongues and reading out John 14, 20. And that day you will know I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And I felt the Lord say, I'm baptizing. This grace thing is going, going, uh, uh, it's going into like overdrive. I'm baptizing my body, the body in innocence. I'm bringing them beyond forgiveness into a place of restored innocence. This reconciled union restores us back to the standard of innocence. How many times, Cheryl, have I heard you say grace restores the standard? Oh my goodness, preached it one, you preached a thousand times. Grace restores the standard. What is the standard? Forgiveness? No, innocence. Innocence. If you don't let the Father convince you of your innocence, you'll never let Him tell you who you really are. And you won't believe it when he tries to tell you who you really are. If you don't let him convince you of your purity and your righteousness and your innocence and the ability for him to restore that innocence, when he tries to unveil your destiny and tell you what he has in mind for you, you'll give him 20 reasons why he can't fulfill that in you. Restored innocence is part of this reformation. We have a world that's absolutely dying under the self-inflicted weight of guilt and shame. And, and we try to pile it upon everybody else. But what God is doing is he's bringing an anointing for innocence. There's a healing oil that's weighty. There's a, glory, there's a weighty glory that is called innocence. That he is putting the kabod of the glory of innocence back on the bride again. 
Let me tell you what weight does, though. Weight reveals fractures. If you got like a hairline fracture in your leg bone, a shin bone or whatever, and I drop like three, 400 pounds on your shoulders, you may not have known that there was a break there. You will suddenly know it like that. He doesn't put weight upon us to cause us pain. He puts weight upon us to show us areas of brokenness in our life that we haven't surrendered yet. not striving at surrender. The grace to step into innocence is not just a journey that you take with God. It's a journey that you take with God and you give away to somebody else to restore a person to innocence. Talking to a pastor, a friend of mine in Deltona, Florida and uh, preached this in his church. He's grabbed it, ran with it like crazy. It's writing a book right now on the baptism of innocence. I put an extra chapter in the new version of Reckless Grace in the end about the baptism of innocence. He says to people in his church, he says, look, I don't, take, take it beyond forgiveness. Take it into innocence. And this lady in the church has his husband. He's been a terrible scoundrel. He's abusive to his wife, abusive to his family. And she declared over and over again, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive God, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him. And there he is, passed out drunk, laying in bed. And she reaches over and puts her hand on him. And just weeping, took her a while to do it. But she says, I declare you innocent. He wakes up the next morning and he's a new man. Now how can that even happen? Unless God is bringing us to a fresh revelation of an imparted grace that actually restores a person without them consciously even knowing it. You see what I'm saying? It's offensive. But you got to see the water pots different in order to access the new wine that God puts in in vessels that we just would never drink out of. And in order to do that, you're going to have to look at that water pot different. You know, I see I see you innocent. Now, teach me something. Speaking what? I would never allow Kanye West to speak into my life. You, you, you may be shocked as to the quality of the new wine God puts in some really cracked pots out there. And you may be shocked at the quality of the new wine God has placed within you that you haven't even seen. Until somebody who believes in the baptism of innocence walks up to you and draws it out. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about one of the new things God is doing. Created now, not long ago, and before today, you've not heard them, so you will not say, Behold, I knew them. I want you to jump. Oh, man, so, so many things I want to talk about today. I'm going to save some for Sunday morning. Uh I want you to jump over to John chapter 16. Starting in verse 1, we're going to run down to verse 4. These things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They'll make you outcasts in the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. And these things they'll do because they've not known the Father or me. 
But these things I've spoken to you, so when their hour comes, you remember that I told you of this. There's something about the declared word of the Lord over your life that we are called to remember. And there's things that God has spoken over Bill and Sue Hart that could have never come about except through a process. It's not the end of a thing. It's the beginning of a thing. It's not the end of a thing. This is the beginning of a thing. And some of you have been in, in here and you've watched, you've watched Bill and Sue. You've watched Bill get up here. And say some things no other preacher on earth would ever say. I've been sitting next to Sue when he said them, and Sue turns to me and goes, What are you going to do about it? I, nothing. I'm just going to sit right here. That's Papa Bill. He can say whatever he wants. He's earned a right. He can do it. Some of you sat here. Some of you sat here in these meetings. Some of you sat here. Come off and on. Maybe some of you called this place home. But you come here and you and you know that there's such a grace to call. I've learned more about the glory from this brother than anybody else on the planet. A lot of people walking in the glory, but I've learned so much about the glory just from Bill walking up, putting his arm around me, and just standing there. And I'm thinking, what? first time he ever did this. I was an assembly of God guy. I don't, it's not my thing. We don't do this. Very, you know, programmed about this stuff. He comes up and puts his arm around me like this. And then we start swaying a little bit. And I'm thinking, whoa, what's happening right now? And Bill goes, the glory. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's it. And suddenly I had an instant download that there's something happening here right now that cannot be taught. It can only be caught. I got a drink. I just got to drink this in. And I walked away with a fresh understanding and a full-on download, but I had no language for it. There are things that God will teach you and experience and encounter that he will not give you language for until you've walked in them and been seasoned in them for a little while. And then, and then the danger is that you get up and you just talk about them. And people walk away having an intellectual understanding, but never themselves having an encounter. See, it takes a father to know that... <laughs> I could talk about this all day long, but it's just better for me to put my arm around you and go, the glory. <laughs> It'll be better for you if I just do this. That's right. I'm like, well, teach me so I can take some notes. No, 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 no. There's no notes to be taken right now. The glory. <laughs> I remember this time I was mule shoe, mule, mule shoe. And the glory came into my shower. What? <laughs> you know, the next time I was in the shower, I remembered that story and I went. <laughs> Suddenly I wasn't alone anymore. I'm like, what is happening right now? He gave me a testimony about something that sparked a testimony in me. That's right. I'm going down the road the other day, Bill, and turn the radio, turn this music on and the glory. Not music I would listen to. Willie Nelson. The glory. What? You found the glory anywhere. We could be in gyms eating the greasiest food on earth. And suddenly I'd look over and I, I just don't even have to, you didn't have to say anything. The glory. The glory. You can find it here. Yes. You turn the, he's so immersed in the glory. You turn the bucket any which way. And it's there. Long gone past living under a tiny little drip. Long gone past just staying under a waterfall. 
It's swimming in an ocean of glory. All you got to do is just dive in and drink deep. Drown willingly. pray that the weighty glory that is the well of this place would crash over every person at one chapel and beyond. Mm. God, that the fulfillment of the call that you spoke to Bill all the way back in Muleshoe that he still hasn't seen yet. God, that he began to just begin to see, see what he has known was always available. Mm. The glory. The glory. God, the glory that came in the back doors of that church years ago and rolled down the aisle. The glory. That it would roll over the city. That Austin would be a coronavirus-free zone. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. These things I've spoken to you. Oh, my goodness. Just close your eyes. Put your hands out in front of you just like this. And just drink in the glory. There's so much glory on this place. There's so much glory on this people. Whether you call this church home or not. It's a home to this city. It's 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 a haven to this city. It's a well in this city. The longer you walk with Jesus, the less inspired you are with your own faithfulness. The less inspired you are with your own spirituality. And the more inspired you are by His glory. Jesus. Father. God, I feel the weight of the glory. I feel the weight of glory in this room. Upon this place. And there's a purity of a baptism of innocence that God wants to bring to this house and this people. You can't give away what you don't have. So I declare the innocence of heaven over you tonight. The innocence of heaven over you tonight. The restored innocence of the blood of Jesus over you tonight. The restored innocence of your reconciled union. There's no irreconcilable differences in the kingdom of God. He saves us and He restores us single-handedly. But in order to take you into a place where the destiny upon your life that He has appointed for you from before the foundation of the world is completely fulfilled, you've got to believe you're innocent. You've got to believe in the power of His grace to restore the standard. This is what the glory does. So tonight, breathe in that innocence. 
Drink in that innocence. Rest in that innocence. Grace isn't the freedom to walk in compromise. Compromise is bondage. And Jesus came to set you free. He came to set you free. He came to set you free. And there's a weightiness to the anointing. A newness that God is doing in this earth today. It's going to require us to just get ready to be shocked. And if being shocked by the new offends you, You've been so seasoned, you don't think you can see anything new or experience anything new. Hang on. Unless you become like a child. And children are always being shocked and surprised and astonished. So Lord, we just surrender ourselves to eternally be astonished at your glory. To eternally be astonished at your glory. I'm going to invite you to find a place at this altar to pray. This is the last first Friday. And there's been a lot of oil in the Spirit poured out upon this place. Don't leave anything, anything, anything of guilt and shame of a residue of guilt and shame on you. Drop it off here and let the oil of the innocence, the baptism of the glory of God, wash over you tonight.